Forget about this one. Drive home safely. One nothing walk off. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to the base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. Christopher Kopka from NBC Sports Chicago is it's Spader. Let's face it. You and I are huge fans of this guy with the statistics that he puts out there. I just learned that King Kelly is the guy that is in his Twitter avatar. Um, and I want, do you know anything about King Kelly Spader? Uh, offhand? I do not. I wonder if I ever tweeted anything about him though. I'm sure. Um, Mr. Kopka is well informed on him though. Hello, Christopher. Thanks for coming on the show, man. How you been? Pretty good. Um, I still sponsor the baseball reference page. I don't pay anymore, but my name is at the bottom still. Oh, that's <laughs> Ken Kelly. All right, you're going to do a Spader stats for like 20 minutes on the next show, Spader. But, hey, Christopher, listen, I'm so fed up with baseball right now. Usually I like the bit, the draft. I have no interest in the draft. I'm so fed up with this. I just just come back already, and I know we blame the owners, and the owners are a lot to blame at this. I'm even pissed off the players. Both sides, drop your ego. Let's go. Let's have some fun. How? Fr- what's your frustration level right now on a scale of one to ten? Spot maxed out, and I agree with you, Holden. I don't think it's just the owners. Hey, the, the players, the players got to get this thing going too. Um, quit treating this like you're you're negotiating the next CBA for the next fifty years. It's just for one year. Figure it out and let's go. See, that's exactly – you know what? That's another good point you bring up, that they are kind of fighting for the future. And it's completely asinine at this point because you're going to do more damage to what you're doing. Just get this season over with, please. Pretty please with Sugar on top. Hey, <sighs> one, one, one thing on that is um, what you said, I've heard from a number of retired – Ball players who have said these guys got to realize that this is not the CBA. This is not the hill to die on. Uh, do it next year when it matters. And when you got a lot more time. Yeah, you're you're exactly right, and I think that that's part of the biggest problem right here is that um, uh, a lot of them are looking at it or treating it that way and prepared it's 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 scary thought because you can almost see a scenario where we don't get baseball for the next two years oh god please don't say that spader christopher what are you going to do if there's no baseball for two years i don't even want to think about it i'm not going to think about it uh we just need to get baseball back Uh, i mean this is like the worst time for this it's like there's a lot of people you know, losing their job. There's people that are sick. There's people that are angry because of things that are going on in the world. Um, I don't think that anyone wants to hear two sides bicker about a large amount of money. People just don't want to hear it. Um, you know, and, and if you have like problems with the offers and the counter proposals, that's fine, but don't keep dragging it into the media. It's the worst possible look. 
it's a terrific point because they already look bad. And now you do, you got turbulence. The country's going bananas right now. And we all need a distraction. Do you know how much goodwill that Major League Baseball is squandering? And I, I feel like, and this is just a number, if the NBA is coming back, what was it, July 31st? You need two weeks to be on the stage all by yourself. And they're completely going to screw themselves if they're not back out there by the 17th. It's, it's not, oh, yeah. not, not going to be worth it. What? Plus, the difference between the NBA and the NHL and what MLB would be is you get a fresh start. Like, for example, here in Chicago, the NBA comes back. There's no Bulls. They're not in it. So it's like, well, who cares? For, for every team in the majors, there's a fresh start and there's, there's possibilities. There's optimism. You never know what's going to happen because it's a fresh start to the season. Plus, it's a shortened season. And if you look at how the Nationals started out 1931 and ended up going to the World Series, um, you know, fluke things can happen, which means even a, a horrible team has a chance. You never know. So one thing that I'll add on that is something that we've talked about a number of times. The owners are saying, yeah, no, no, there's not that much money to be made, especially if we're paying them 100%. But they, I think they got to look at this like an investment in the future of the game because you have the time to capture a large portion of the population that wouldn't otherwise be watching baseball. But um, to shift gears and talk about baseball, uh, I'm going to ask you something that I know you and I have talked about, but um, I, I know you're passionate about it. So I, I just want our audience to be able to hear is what do you make of all of the heat that Harold Baines got for his induction to the National Baseball Hall of Fame and at, during a time that should have been one of the biggest moments of his entire life, he's got to hear all the haters say, you don't belong. Yeah, I think it sucks. Um, <clears throat> listen, he, there's a, however got in, he got in, all right? And there's a panel, and there's 16 people there that know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about. And so he's in. Um, like, saying all these weird things after the fact, it doesn't get him out. Uh, it does nothing to do anything. Um, when a player is inducted or elected into the Hall of Fame, it's a time to celebrate that player, and that's it. You know, um, don't don't take that time to air out your grievances of the process or, like, it's his fault that maybe he got in in a method that didn't, you may not like. It doesn't matter anymore. There's no point in complaining about him being in the Hall of Fame anymore. He's in. So let's enjoy it. Let's give him the chance to enjoy it and all of his fans. Because as for me, when he was in, it was probably the, the most gratifying moment of that baseball year for me. Because that's my mom's all-time favorite player. And I got a chance to give her a call and let her know, hey, Harold Baines made the Hall of Fame. And, and she was thrilled to hear that. And I was thrilled to say it. I was a fan of his as well. So yeah, my, my biggest thing was I, I'm not there to rip down plaques. I, I like trying to help people get them put up. But um, uh, with, when it comes to Baines, uh, his his career was impacted by three different strikes, as you well know. And um, it, it's reasonable to say that those strikes cost him 3,000 hits, 500 doubles, and 400 home runs. And that's something Tony LaRusso went to bat for Harold Baines with. Um, do you think, regardless of 
whether or not Harold Baines is, you know, he's a Hall of Famer now. But uh, do you think that that's something that has to be considered? These strikes, these careers that are impacted by strikes, because here we're in a situation where players' career numbers are going to be impacted by this season. 100%. Um, those are, I mean, that's, that's an amazing, excellent point you bring up. I mean, he probably would have, people would have thought completely different of him had he reached those milestones. And another point I'd like to make is I'm getting awfully sick and tired of, of people saying, well, Baines is in, so then why don't you put in Raul Ibanez or something like that? Um, I will say this. No matter of who's, who's put into the Hall of Fame, it shouldn't move your goalposts. Um, your Hall of Fame standards should remain the same no matter who gets put in. So if there's a player that you don't like to get in, ignore that pick and stick to your standards. I don't understand why everybody decides that they have to change the entire Hall of Fame criteria for each pick. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Maintain your standards. That's a great point that you make. Do you think that the writers are saying things like that or are the writers saying things like that? It's just more of a fan thing. I think it's more of a fan thing. Because, I mean, especially on Twitter, you see all these people with some snarky remarks every time Harold Baines is brought up. And, you know, maybe they just don't realize you're barking up the wrong tree here because I'm not going to have any of that. Uh, So tell me that, you know, pick a guy who is generally considered a semi-star who really isn't going to get in the Hall of Fame and say, well, Baines is in. Then, you know, why didn't you put in Reggie Sanders or Steve Finley? It's like, no, that's that's not the way it works. It's, it's canceled, right? We're not going to have a Hall of Fame induction ceremony this summer. Is that true? Yep. Yeah. So uh, none. Well, un- unfortunately, in a way, but fortunately for me, um, I really wanted to get there this year. Um, well, maybe especially because of Hawk Harrelson getting in. I've actually had the opportunity to work with Hawk, so for me, that's kind of awesome. Um, but also I wouldn't have been able to go anyway, because that's right around the due date of my son, who's expected to be born in July 21st. So I wouldn't be able to go there. So maybe next year I can kind of work things around and get over to Cooperstown. That's my very selfish reason for it. Congratulations. And you're going to want to get away from your wife and your child at about one year old. So that'll be the perfect time to go to Cooperstown. Isn't it? Yeah, I'm just telling you the truth. Do you have any kids? Yeah, yeah. Oh no, oh, okay. not yet. This will be the. First. Oh, not yet. Yeah, you're screwed. So it's <laughs> yeah, over, everybody. Everything changes in about a month. Yeah, it's over. Good luck trying to watch a baseball game next year. <laughs> unless you're watching <laughs> at work, it's all over. Uh, uh, well, I'm not gonna. Uh, uh, Should have gotten a vasectomy. Uh, uh, oh, that's terrible. I am. I am <laughs> no, not going to say anything. My job is to watch baseball games, so that ain't going to change. So I know. You got different. so lucky. I know. You're really dead. You really did get very lucky. Okay, please, Spader, stop yeah. getting so offended. Oh, I'm not offended. Uh, and I know uh, Christopher's not, probably not either. I know but, um, not. I got I to gotta bring up a, another guy who you have um, 
uh, been pulling for for a long time, and somebody else who I think belongs in the Hall of Fame as well, and that's Minnie Minoso. Uh, my personal favorite Minnie statistic is the fact that he reached base safely as a pro ball player at 20 years old, and then also at 77 years old. But I know you got a lot more. Uh, interesting stuff on many than I do. And I was wondering um, if I could put you on the spot and you might share a little bit of that as to why you think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Well, I think that his Hall of Fame case is uh, complicated and you have to be willing to do work to actually understand it. Um, I mean, because when he goes to the Golden Era Committee, they're saying, look at his Major League career. When he goes to the Negro League Committee, they said, look at his Negro League career. Well, to do him justice, you need to be able to look at both parts together. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing him any justice. Um, He was the first black Latino player in Major League history. And that's very, very critical and very important because you had Jackie Robinson open the door for black players in 1947. Then you had many come in in 1949. But not only is he getting, you know, he's getting some – you know, prejudice because of his skin color, but now he also has the language barrier. And when you read the newspapers back in the day, you'll hear all this ridiculous way that they would quote him and they, you know, they would, you know, they they would print things and try to mock the way he would speak. And that's very um, inconsiderate and disrespectful. So he had to deal with that as well. But he was a dynamic player. He was arguably the second best player in the American League during the 1950s behind only Ted Williams. And, and the numbers are right there. Uh, he ranks very highly. And in terms of major leagues during the 1950s, he's one of only five players with a 300 batting average and a 400 on base percentage. And the other four are Stan Musial, Ted Williams, um, Mickey Mantle, and uh, Jackie Robinson, I believe, mm. the five are. And during the 1950s, he's one of only two players with 100 homers, 100 steals, and a 300 batting average. And the other one there is Willie Mays. So, and, and that's not even starting to talk about what a great baseball ambassador he was. Um, he was a great in the Cuban League. Then he came to the Negro Leagues. Then he came to the Major Leagues. And after he retired from the Major Leagues originally, he went to star in the Mexican League for many, many years. And if you add in all of his professional hits together, he's comfortably north of 4,000. Wow, 4,000. Not bad. Got a question about uh, somebody that is not going to go to the Hall of Fame anytime soon, Sammy Sosa. So when did it all fall apart for Sammy in Chicago? Was it when he just left, just bolted mid-game? Like everything great that he did for the organization, was that when everybody turned on Sammy Sosa? Was that the moment? It sure seems like it. And it's so frivolous. After what he was able to do, especially during the 1998 home run chase and all that stuff. And he's the all-time Cubs home run leader. Are you really going to bring it to that? I think maybe some of the backlash had already come with, um, you know, the PED accusations. I'm not even going to get into that because I just hate going down that path. I don't know who did what or and to what extent. So I'm not going to sit here and pick and choose. I'm going to look at what Sammy Sosa did for the city of Chicago and for baseball in 1998 when the game really needed it. And he came through and he became a superstar. I mean, I have a stat about Sammy Sosa that I, that I actually, you know, I enjoy this one here. Okay. So you have in major league history, let me pull this thing up real quick. Um, 
three one thousand three hundred and sixty nine players with at least three seasons of ten home runs. You have five hundred and sixty one players with at least three seasons of twenty home runs. You have 182 players with at least three seasons of 30 home runs. You have 46 players with at least three seasons of 40 home runs. You have four players with at least three seasons of 50 home runs. You have one player with at least three seasons of 60 home runs. It's Sammy Sosa. Yeah, I think it all started in it. Cubs fans got to get over this. I don't like telling people to get over it, but that was an isolated incident. Now, as you get older and you get farther away from the moments when you got upset, you can't really tell the Sammy Sosa story without the PEDs, though, Christopher. I think that is such a big part of his story. So, and Spader and I on the same thing as this. Neither one of us really gives a shit about that. I think we're probably in the minority, but we just we just don't care. And I'm speaking for you, Ryan, right? Because we're on the same page here. Yeah, um, I'm a hundred percent. I think he's a Hall of Famer. 100%. Yeah, it, there's no doubt about it. He's one of the greatest players of his generation. But that's the other reason why people don't watch him. But you get farther away from the situation. Can you really stay angry at this guy? The, the way he bolted the locker room one game after what he gave you for that amount of time and the success really that the organization had uh, behind him. That that's the first thing with Sammy Sosa. And the second thing, the steroids that pissed me off um, at the time, my views on those have completely changed. The only thing that bothered me at the time was that Sammy said he couldn't talk in front of the congressional hearings. Why? Because he couldn't speak English and he didn't feel comfortable with that. And as I think about it more, his English is great. But if you were talking in front of a grand jury or a Congress and you had a little problem with your speech. Why would you? Why would you even bother? So I've come completely around on him, Christopher. Well, with Sosa, I, no. Listen, for the people who really are down on a player because of PED PD use, I totally understand it. I totally understand that argument. I understand why someone would think that way, and I think they're very justified in thinking that. Me personally, I just not a thing with me really. It's not really a big deal. So that's my personal take on it. But I think one of the recent things where Tom Ricketts and the ownership says you owe them an apology, well, Sammy Sosa owes Tom Ricketts nothing. Uh, He wasn't even the owner back then. So I don't even understand where that's coming from or any of that. And to be able to – I think the Cubs – how would you not welcome him back? Tom Ricketts didn't seem like a great guy, by the way. Sorry, Spader. No, you're good. It, it It says a lot of things that just bother me. And I think this is, to tell you the truth about the Sosa thing, this pissed me off, too. You're right. I mean, you run the Cubs now, but he doesn't owe him an apology whatsoever. I mean, the the cost of the franchise or the price of the franchise just continued to go up during Sammy Sosa's era. And you know this. Back in the early 80s, nobody was going to Wrigley Field until 1984. So he really he, he helped Ricketts. He helped Ricketts because Sammy Sosa helped get that franchise back on track. And they had some ups and downs, but it got Lou Pinnell there. I mean, Sammy, Sammy's done a lot more for that organization than Ricketts has. And Ricketts was the owner when they won the World Series. So uh, I got to yeah, one I, more thing. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, Christopher, go ahead. Well, I was going to add in uh, before we move on. Another one of my all-time favorite Sammy Sosa nuggets. So. He is the all-time leader in home runs by a sh- uh, home runs at Chicago ballparks. 
<laughs> and he had, a, he had a grand total of 312. And Holden, you might you might get the significance there. But for everybody who's not familiar, 312 is the area yeah, code in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it's the area code at Guaranteed Rate Field, not Wrigley Field with 773. But it used to be the area code over at Wrigley. But that's a very seven, fun seven, little three. Chicago spin. <laughs> Seven seven three eight four seven. Give me a break. It's only three one two. Well, of course you hit a couple yeah, of the white side. I'm an eight four seven. Yeah. <laughs> so was I. It's garbage. Yeah, All right, you, you had to have been. Get yeah. it out. You're from Spader. an area. That's, you're from an area that's not that far from where I'm at. No, or where I was. Yeah, yeah. eight four seven. I got to go one more on Sosa just because I enjoy his career so much. Uh, and I'm, I'm guilty on this one because in 2001, I was 12 years old. Uh, I was all in on baseball. I turned 13 that summer. And um, when I think back to 2001, I think Barry Bonds and Luis Gonzalez. But I look back at it, and in hindsight, Sosa had the best season of his entire career. I mean, he, he finished with 64 home runs. And um, had a 737 slugging percentage, a 203 OPS plus, and he even out homered Barry Bonds 49 to 45 during the final four months of the season. But again, I, I looking back on the season, I don't remember it ever being anybody but Bonds or Gonzalez who was going to break that record. Um, was that the feel in Chicago, or was Sosa in the mix of everything? Sosa was in the mix. I mean, he was. I mean, he was still the big story. It's crazy that he had 360 home run seasons, didn't lead the league in any of them. I believe he led the league twice in seasons where he didn't have 60, which is crazy. But 2001 was a legit, amazing season that doesn't get the doesn't get the attention that it deserves because Bonds was going insane that year. Yeah. Um, so just to shift back to your. Uh... Your White Sox and something everybody was talking about was the um, the last dance. And we had um, right before that all happened, we had um, Jerry Harrison Jr. on and he told us some fantastic stories about his grandfather coaching Michael Jordan in the minor leagues. And um, Jordan, of course, playing for the uh, Barons. And uh, now I, I don't buy into many conspiracy theories, but I, I do buy the one that um, Jordan was suspended. Uh, closed door suspension. I think they, Stern saw how poorly the Pete Rose situation was handled with one of the game's biggest stars, and he couldn't have that with his star. And I, I think there was a handshake agreement. I, I don't have any evidence or anything. I just don't see Jordan otherwise walking away from basketball. Um, how despised? I'm not, I'm not asking you to say whether or not you believe it, because you know, given your position. But how despised is that take from Chicagoans? Chicagoans. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. What was that? I said, how how despised is that take from uh, oh, people from Chicago? <laughs> I think generally around here, people just say they just dismiss it. I don't think people around here really believe it. It should be dismissed. It's an asinine theory. <laughs> you love conspiracy well, theories, I mean, though. It's it's an interesting and intriguing conspiracy theory. Most people here don't believe it. I still think the Patrick Ewing thing is real. With the cold uh, with the cold envelope. And that's what David Stern Oh, yeah, I believe that. See? I believe that 100%. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm there. They try to get New York back. Hey, um, I want to go back to Cubs real quick because we talked about the old guy, Sammy Sosa, but this year's Cubs. I don't know how you're, we're going to deal with the trade deadline if there's a 50-game season or really if there's an 80-game season. But Theo said that he would consider breaking things up if they didn't have their shit together, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, by the All-Star break. So how do things change now in your mind? Can you really even get an evaluation if we only play 50 or 80 games? Yeah, I don't think you can. I think that a lot of teams that were planning on making moves at the deadline really going to be handcuffed by this because I don't think you can. And I think it would be unwise to make moves hastily just because the season's shortened. What do you think about that, Spader? Uh, I don't really have any I, – I, I don't know how this is going to play out. I can't speculate on something when, it, when you have these proposals, 114 games, 76 games, 84 games, 50 games, 48 games – I, I can't speculate on any of this until I know what the hell's going to happen. Yeah, but but still, you can look at it and say, here, to you, is 80 games enough of a sample? I, if Theo thinks it is and he would have broken things up in a 162-game season, then it must be enough to do that. But if you play 80 games, how can you say 40 games or even 50 games in a season, that's enough to see how your team's performing? It's just not right. So if there's going to be any reactions, then to me, that's going to be rash overreactions because this is just you have to chalk this up as something that's going to be completely different no matter what. I guess so. I mean, I really hadn't given all that much thought to it, to the, the concept of a trade deadline, because I just want to get a season at all. Um but thinking it through, now that you mentioned that way, I mean, this seems like a pretty good chance for some opportunistic teams to take advantage, doesn't it? I think so. Absolutely. And I think even if you're like, um, if teams are getting, let's see here, if players are going to get their service time and you got a guy coming up on free agency again, like, why not just deal him now? Let another team take him for the 50 games. If I'm only getting 50 games out of him, fine. Let's go trade him to whoever the hell wants and get some good prospects out of it. And I, on the other hand, I think the teams that would be getting the big player would probably be getting a little bit of diff, uh, of a discount in some instances. So that's it. All right, go Spader. Go. You've been dying to ask a question. I'm not dying to it. It's <laughs> not what you said to me. You said, <laughs> Oh, I got one more. God, um, I'm dying. So, I've got to ask you um, about – I've seen it, and I've seen you talk about it a few times, but the um, give me the background on how you ended up going in a, uh, a pizza eating contest with uh, Kobayashi. What? All right. Yeah, so back in May to, uh, May 2012, and uh, it was a show called um, – well, it's now called Sports Talk Live. Um, I think it was, it was called something else back then. Um, and our host, David Kaplan, um, was asked by the producer, say, hey, do you want to go in the pizza eating contest? And he's like, nah. And then they asked somebody else, and, and I think they said no as well. And then they came to me, and, and, you know, before they can finish the question, I'm like, done, I'm in. <laughs> um, well, first of all, it's pizza. It's my all-time favorite food. I, I've probably eaten, you know, more pizza than most people I know. Uh, and... Um, I mean, it's Kobayashi. So 
just that was the biggest thing. I mean, I get to compete against one of the all-time greatest at what he does, even if it's eating. And so I was excited. And, I, you know, I've never even done competitive eating before. So I was wondering, what would this be like? And, you know, first, it's a free lunch, so let's go. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I got destroyed. Uh, he had he had much better technique than I did. Uh, super nice guy, by the way. Just very nice. Um, you know, I asked him, hey, what, what do you like to eat when you're not competing? And he said, tofu and yogurt. So there, there's that. Uh. Um, yeah, I was, I mean, unlike him, we were eating, you know, we were eating the, my favorite food. So I figured I might have, you know, some kind of advantage. But I think what I needed to do more of was drink more water because I was just trying to eat so fast and it was getting log jammed at the back of my throat. And, you know, it wasn't that I was getting full. I ate a half a pizza, a large deep dish pizza in two and a half minutes, you know, and after the bell rang and we, we talked, I grabbed another slice and kept eating really. Cause it was good. <laughs> um, it wasn't the fact that I couldn't eat uh, enough. It was just my technique sucked and I needed to have more water. Wow. How did you feel after this? Were you fine? It's fine. I mean, I normally eat that much, so just not in two and a half minutes, but I mean, not that much longer. So it was like just a normal lunch for me, really. Uh, that is terrific. All right. My only, my only regret was not getting in the autograph to pizza box. Oh. I forgot. I, 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 just, I blew it. You should have gotten his number or something. You guys get a text about food and stuff. No? Well, it's cool because, well, it could have. Um, I think he was in town to do a minor league baseball game. Like, he was going to have an eating exhibition at a minor league baseball game. And I want to say he's either, like the, either Gary or Joliet, one of those towns. And, um, yeah, he was in town for that. So they figure, all right, so if he's in town, let's get him on the show. And uh, it's really cool because every, every May 25th, I usually tweet about the anniversary. And what's cool is he usually retweets it. So, you know. All right, guys. That was fun. Christopher Kamka, associate producer of White Sox Baseball on NBC Sports Chicago. And you better follow him at C. Kamka. So here's how you spell it. At on Twitter, C-K-A-M-K-A. At C. Kamka is how you do it. One of my favorite follows in baseball. Say bye-bye, Spader. Say bye to him. All right, I don't want to rob really, you of that opportunity. <laughs> really appreciate you coming on. Um, like Holden, as you well know, definitely one of my favorite followers on Twitter. And uh, it was great to finally meet you when we met the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's a cool story. Um, What's the story? Cooperstown. So, yeah, I'm excited to get a chance to be on the show. I'm looking forward to things get back to normal. You know, you're in this neck of the woods. You guys are... If I'm in your neck of the woods, we'll all meet up hopefully sometime soon and um, maybe get a chance, another chance at the podcast down the road. Thank you, Christopher. That was great stuff. Christopher Kempka joining us here on the walk-off for Ryan. You can follow him on Twitter at the Ace of Spader. Spader's S-P-A-E-D-E-R. Follow me at Holden Radio, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>